The first reading for this, the third Sunday of Easter, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And this is the word of the Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. This reading comes from the first letter of St. Peter, the first chapter. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable Through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. That very day... Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, 
Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Being a pastor, actually being a Christian in general, it's a wonderful vocation. How sweet it is to share the word of God with others, to speak the biblical truths that our Lord and Savior has revealed to us, to share with others the words of eternal life. It is a joy to go through life living out the faith that God has given to us and to share it with those around us in so many different ways. At least, it usually is. But it's not always, is it? Sometimes it's a little bit less than rewarding to speak God's word to others, isn't it? Because not everyone reacts with joy and gratitude. There are those who mock it, those who deny it, Those who just want nothing to do with it, or anyone who would dare speak it. And that's when you're sharing the good news of the gospel. When you're telling people how Jesus died and rose again to give them the free gift of salvation and eternal life. People aren't always so grateful when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, they're even less grateful when it comes to the law of God. If people don't want to hear that God has done everything for them and given them the gift of salvation, how much less do they want to hear that they are in opposition to God's holy will? That without forgiveness they stand condemned to eternal death. If they dismiss the free gift of redemption, what do they do with the proclamation that they are sinners deserving of hell? And before we get too proud of ourselves... Let's understand. It's not just unbelievers and those people. We'd like to think it is. Because then we can just write them off and say, well, we tried, what can you do? But you see, rejection of God's word, refusal to hear it, that's a problem right here in the church, right in our congregation, right in our own Christian hearts. It's you. 
It's me. It's all of us. When we hear God's word, when his law convicts us of our sin, strikes us down from our arrogant notion that we're very good people, we ask ourselves the same question that the crowd asked when Peter delivered his wonderful Pentecost sermon from our reading today. When we are convicted by God's holy law, we too ask the question, what shall we do? What can we do? Well, when God's word cuts us to the heart, we can react in one of two ways. Our first inclination is to react according to our sinful nature and cling to our sin. To say that there is nothing wrong with the way that we're doing that. Clearly God is wrong here. We can shout out, if that's the way you want to talk to me, well then I'll never go to that church again. And who are you to tell me what's wrong? You think you're better than me? That's how we oftentimes react. That's how we want to react. And we react like that because our sinful nature is so strong within us. To hear that we are actually sinners, that hurts our egos. And let's face it, we really like ourselves. To hear that we are sinners implies that we are doing something wrong and we like the way that we're living. Sin and wretchedness and filth and all. And so, more often than not, when God's word says to us, thou shalt not, when the law of God stands directly in our way and shows us the error and the condemnation of our ways, we don't want to hear it. We walk away. We say, that's not for us. God, you can keep that to yourself. I'm going to keep doing my thing. But to react in that manner leads only to death. It takes us farther and farther from God as we look more and more to ourselves and to the world around us. And these are things that cannot save us. God, he does not turn his back on us. But we certainly turn our back on him when we reject his word and say, Hey, I want the whole heaven thing, but I'm not really into your rules and regulations. And when we turn our backs on God, when we reject his word and his love, we condemn ourselves by that very law that we try to pretend doesn't apply to us. You see, saying that God's law doesn't apply to you, pretending that it's not real or that God doesn't actually exist, it doesn't change the reality. Pretending that a train doesn't exist is not going to keep it from smashing into your car if you park it on the tracks. In the same way, pretending that God's law doesn't apply to you does not make it so. Every single person is accountable. Every soul will stand before his throne of judgment and will be judged by the same holy and righteous standard of his law. And so when we hear that word of God that grates on our lives, that offends our fragile little egos, we can rail, we can pout, we can throw a temper tantrum, we can say that it doesn't mean anything to us. We can, and we often do. But to do so is death. It's to thumb our nose at the only thing that can possibly save us. And so instead of being incensed by it, instead of insisting that we are right, instead of despising God's word that hurts us and refusing to hear it any longer, we should recognize 
that God speaks his law not in anger or in hatred, but in love and for our great benefit. When Peter delivered his Pentecost sermon that we heard part of in our reading, he didn't mince words or pull punches at all. He outright says to the crowd in Jerusalem, You killed Jesus. You murdered an innocent man, and you killed the Messiah that you claimed that you were waiting for. This was not a seeker-sensitive message. This was a full-on, top-rope, flying elbow drop of the law, pointed squarely at the face of his listeners. They could have gotten very offended and left. They could have looked at him and said, I don't like what he's saying and I'm not going to listen to it anymore. They could have claimed that he was nothing but a bitter, mean old pastor who didn't like them and they didn't need that kind of negativity in their lives. They could have. And I'd imagine some did. But most of the crowd, convicted of their sin, recognized this was not a proclamation of hatred, but this was a gracious opportunity to be rid of the consequences of their horrific, sinful actions. Recognizing that God speaks even his law to us out of love, not hatred, we can react in faith. We can take that word to heart, and we can even rejoice in that word that offends us so very deeply. Even when it hurts us, we can rejoice that God bothers to take the time and the care to correct our wrongs. We can recognize that God's holy law is there for our benefit, not his amusement. It keeps us from sin. It keeps us from danger in our lives. It shows us our need for a Savior. How many of you, when you were children, enjoyed being grounded? Of course not. But how many of you see the value of it now? Did that grounding, or that timeout, or that spank, keep you from ever, 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 ever doing it again? Did sometimes it take more than once to learn the lesson? But are you grateful now that your parents, your teachers, your pastors took the time to try to mold you into the decent human being that you are today? To correct you? To not let you continue on in the feral, sinful ways that led to your great harm? You see, that's what God's word does for us but on an eternal scale. It's not just about God correcting some behavior here and there to make you decent. But when we recognize what a blessing God's word is to us, our attitude towards God's law, it is changed completely. The people on Pentecost, hearing God's word, being convicted of their sin, they asked, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent. Now what does it mean to repent? Well, it's more than just feeling bad for what you've done. More than just the promise to never do it again. To repent means that you recognize your sin, but you also know that God has taken that sin away. Now certainly we try to amend our sinful lives so that sin doesn't take us over again and lead us back into the devil's hands. 
We don't just take this libertine attitude and say, eh, what does it matter? Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, so I may as well do whatever feels good. Because as Peter writes in his epistle today, we have been ransomed from those feudal ways by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been set free from our sin. Living in sin, not caring about what it does, that does us no good whatsoever because we wind up being willingly enslaved by it again and rejecting God's grace. We don't just revel in the sin and say, hey, this is the way I am, why bother trying to change things? But just because we fall into that same sin again doesn't mean that we didn't really repent. And it certainly doesn't mean that we aren't forgiven. We struggle, we fight tooth and nail, but when we fail, which we will, we know that God forgives. Having repented, having laid that sin before God and acknowledged that you can do nothing at all to make it better, you are not just changed in that you don't want to do that sin anymore. You are spared from the eternal consequence of that sin. Peter goes on in his sermon. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And this is one of those times where our English translation doesn't do the actual words justice. Save yourself is actually a bad translation. That kind of implies that it's up to you to fix everything. You need to shape yourself up. You need to take the action. You need to make yourself right with God. I'm sorry, that's not possible. The Greek word here actually means be saved. It's passive, not active. You don't do the doing, God does. What do you contribute to your salvation? Sin and unrighteousness that has to be taken away, and God does it all. You can't save yourself, so God does it for you. When you repent and lay that sin before God in faith, he takes it upon himself. Not to pretend that it didn't happen. Your sin happened. There is no taking that back, no ignoring it. God's perfect law must be satisfied. But as God takes that sin, he places it upon himself to satisfy the penalty that it earned. The penalty that should have been yours. Jesus Christ suffered and died because of your sin. His blood, his death, pays for your guilt. Peter is talking to you when he says, This Jesus whom you crucified, it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was your sin that he suffered under. It was your sin that had to be paid for with his death. But he has paid that sin entirely satisfying all the demands of the law in your place, doing that which you never could. And because he has paid for your sin, you now are holy and innocent in the eyes of God. You are forgiven completely, entirely, with no strings attached, nothing at all left to do. You have been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of your guilt every single bit of it, from all of your wretched sin, all of your hidden sin, all of your repeated sin, all your sins that you don't even know about, all of it is taken away from you completely 
when you repent in faith, and it is paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Through God's word and his sacraments, the benefits of that perfect sacrifice on the cross, they are applied to you directly, and you receive the full benefits of the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of all, but those who reject his word, they exclude themselves from his forgiveness. Those who deny Jesus reject the grace that he has earned for them and has freely given to them. But by faith, faith that comes from and is nurtured by God himself, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied directly to our sinful lives. Do you remember what the mob cried to Pilate when they wanted Jesus to be crucified? They shouted with glee, let his blood be on us and our children. They basically intended it as a curse. We and our children take full responsibility and pride for the wrong that we know we are about to commit. But to those of us with faith, that is the greatest blessing ever. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Because by his holy blood only, we are made holy. By his innocent death, we are delivered from eternal death that should have been ours. By his suffering, we are set free from suffering for all eternity. Forgiven of all of our sin, we recognize what a blessing God's word truly is in our life. Because that word, painful law and all, that is our life and our salvation. So when God's word speaks to our lives, confronts us about our sin, we have to answer that question. What shall we do? Shall we continue on in our sin, thumbing our nose at God, ignoring his gracious warnings, continuing down the path of death and destruction? Or shall we hear his loving word for what it truly is and respond in humility and repentance? Now the answer seems obvious, but our sinful nature makes it so hard. And yet, when we repent, when we lay our sins before Jesus Christ, when we seek to amend our sinful ways by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we confess that we are indeed doing wrong and that God alone is correct, God's word brings us peace and joy, even in the midst of that discipline. What shall we do? By God's grace alone, we shall live forever. For despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite the fact that we give in to the devil and our own sinful nature over and over again, Jesus Christ has died for you, has risen for you, has worked faith in your heart, and has called you to repentance. And when we look to him in faith and contrition, when we confess our sins to our Heavenly Father, we have more than just the hope of forgiveness. We have a guarantee sealed and delivered by the blood of God himself. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins. And eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.